Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coffee and Beer Show. Doctor is in the house. We are going to, heaven help us, we're going to try to carry the show ourselves today. We are going to be recapping our 2021 regular archery seasons. And what we're defining as regular are, uh, in our case, the archery season up until we get to the point when firearm season opens. So that's what we call our regular archery season. We're going to talk about that. It's been uh, action-packed and event-filled, so there's a lot to talk about. Before we get into that, I want to talk about our sponsor today, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. And we haven't announced this yet, but we were able to land a nice outdoor fund grant from this company that's been a big, uh, long-time supporter of the National Deer Association. We're going to talk about that here once we can announce it, but... Every time you check out at a Bass Pro Shops or a Cabela's, they should ask you if you'd like to round up for conservation. And I hope that you always say yes, because when you do that, that money goes into the outdoor fund, which groups like the National Deer Association and other conservation groups have an opportunity to apply for those funds, and it goes to a good cause. So anyway, uh, in addition to that, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's have been a long time sponsor of this organization and also previously when we were the QDMA and also the National Deer Alliance at the time and we also have representation from Bass Pro Shops on our board of directors. Uh, Doctor, you and I remember when they opened the Bass or excuse me the Cabela's in Wheeling we would drive almost two hours just to go spend money on stuff we didn't need. It was almost like making a trip to Disney World. You get so excited and you always wound up spending more than you planned on. And so uh, I never really stuck to my list of things that I wanted to buy. It always seemed to be a little bit more robust on the way home. Yeah, I mean, I distinctly remember before heading out there setting a budget. And let's say it was $200. And I didn't even know what I needed, but I just knew that I was going to find a way to spend $200. (laughs) and uh, I just remember those trips out there and we'd load up some guys and maybe sometimes it would just be the two of us but uh, and also it was always convenient whenever we were heading out to the midwest to hunt Illinois well you had to go right through Wheeling and so it was just a good place to stop for things that you probably didn't need but wanted to buy anyway so at any rate uh, fond memories of Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's sponsors of the National Deer Association and sponsors of today's podcast As for the Ask NDA Anything, we only got, I think, one new one for this show. We're going to hold it. We'll probably do these every other show, the more I think about it. But this is my plea to you. If you have a question for NDA and going into and being in the middle of hunting seasons and you don't have any questions, I just find that hard to believe. So send me an email at nick at deerassociation.com and we will get your question answered. And also we may give you a prize the doctor would like to weigh in. And so if we're actually depleting the pool of questions that the listener has, even if you had, and by no means are we hunting experts, but if you had a hunting scenario that uh, didn't go well, and you'd like to know what we would possibly do, you could throw that one our way and we could at least hash that out and talk it through. And that might help you. It might not. Well, all this time, I thought we were hunting experts and now I'm confused. And no, so, I had to set you straight. I had to set you straight. Man, in my own mind, I was so good at this. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> clearly, clearly I'm not. 
Uh, yeah, ask NDA anything. You can ask us questions too that we've already answered. I think that's okay. I'm a big fan of the Orvis podcast. I like to fly fish as does the doctor. It's not all about deer hunting all the time, believe it or not. And they will oftentimes answer questions that had been asked in previous shows. They have a segment very much like this. And we can do that too, because not everybody, as much as we'd like to believe they do, are going to listen to the show from start to finish every single week and set their life around it. Uh, I hope that you do that, but you're probably not. So it's okay to ask questions that may have already been asked. So yeah, send me an email, nick at deerassociation.com. Ask NDA anything and we will answer them and get you a prize, which will likely be a hat. Okay, that sets the stage, Mike, for what was, even though it's not quite over yet, it's close to being over, our regular archery season uh, this year for 2021. And we're just going to go through it. Uh, we're going to also be sure to talk about tactics we use. We want to make this useful, even though we are not experts. We do have a combined, probably close to 70 years of experience at this now. So we know a little bit of something, and we've had uh, varying levels of success over the years. So we'll talk about that too, and hopefully you can take away something that is helpful, which is really, that's what this is all about. What I want to say in general, though, when I look at the big picture of our season, Mike, it's been a great fall. We filled tags. We've had great experiences. Uh, for me, I was able to not get just my first deer on my property, but my second and third deer on the property. We've already talked about two of them. We're going to talk about the buck here a little bit later. And I think uh, just overall, as I, I like to sit back and just look at a big picture. Was it good? Was it not good? I have to say it was pretty darn good. I'm, I'm pretty satisfied. Where are you at with it? Well, I, well, I'm ecstatic because I've hung a tag on the first buck in, I don't even know how many years, I think it's five years since before I started my doctoral coursework. So uh, I'm back on the board and happy to be there. Yeah, that's something we hadn't talked about. And so since I've moved back to Pennsylvania, which has now been, I guess it's three, more than three years now ago. The buck that I shot was also the first one that I had shot since first moving away, which was back in, what was that, 2011 or 12. Mm -hmm. And so we were on a pretty big buck drought here. And I've had a lot of success in other states like Ohio, North Dakota, and uh, Delaware, but not in Pennsylvania. And there's something about doing it in your home state. And so, and we're going to get into the story of your buck, which I thought was an awesome success too, because you've got yourself a nice little spot there that you waited and saved and made it happen, but I'm not going to steal your thunder. You're going to talk about that, but I thought that was really cool. Sometimes a plan actually does come together, <laughs> believe it or not. And when it does, it makes for a cool story. So let's do this. Let's go ahead and tell our dear stories, our, our success stories in order of harvest. And so an order of harvest is going to go, I'm going to talk about my Pennsylvania buck. And then the doctor is going to bring you the story of his Pennsylvania doe. No, wait. Yeah. Your New Pennsylvania York doe, doe. Oh, New, New York, York doe. doe, New York doe. That's right. I'm sorry. And then your Pennsylvania buck. Yes. Okay. I gotcha. All right. So let's go ahead and start into it. And I had teased on the last show that I was successful in filling my buck tag here in Pennsylvania and we were saving that discussion for this show. And so 
I have always really over the years have just had a tremendous amount of success on Halloween or right around Halloween weekend, those few days around there. And I know I'm not alone in that. I've read multiple articles from a lot of people, talked to my hunting buddies, uh, people in the industry. They say there's something special about Halloween. And I know at one point when I was in Ohio, I was keeping track. I had a five or six year streak of seeing a mature shooter buck on Halloween day that was, that was happening. And so needless to say, as we were approaching Halloween weekend, I was excited. And here we, we couldn't hunt on Halloween because it happened to fall on a Sunday this year, which was disappointing. But I was certainly planning on going out on, on the 30th, which was a Saturday. And this is following a period, almost no matter where you were in the country, we had pretty much from the Midwest to the East, we had had about a seven to 10 day window where there was rain at some point on every single day. And it seemed like we hadn't seen the sun in forever. And going into that Saturday, it was much the same. Matter of fact, I decided to sleep in because they were still calling for rain in the morning. I had just coached a football game on Friday night and you uh, never get home until late after that and you're drained. So I decided, listen, I'm going to sleep in and I'm going to hit it in the afternoon when the rain's supposed to stop and I'm going to be refreshed and I'm going to, I'm excited because I was getting some, some pretty good bucks on camera out at my place. And also I had, which is a bit unusual, but I had an east wind, which actually set up really well for both locations I was planning to hunt. And so uh, I got my gear together and headed out. And the disappointing thing was the rain had held on longer than what they were saying it was going to. And as a matter of fact, when I was pulling out of my driveway, it was still raining. And I said, you know, I am hunting, darn it, because I've been looking forward to this day. And I'm going to go sit in a ground blind that I had set several weeks ago, which I do not really like to hunt deer out of a ground blind, but this one had been there long enough that I felt pretty good about it. Um, and I was going to take my crossbow. And so, no, I'm not, for me, that's, and I have nothing wrong with, no problem with crossbows whatsoever. And I do eventually want to shoot a deer with one because I never have. But it wasn't my first choice. I wanted to go get in a stand over one of my uh, other plots that was perfect for an east wind, but I also didn't want to get soaked. And so I thought, well, I'll still get the hunt. I'm still in a pretty good spot. And so that's what I did. I went and got in this ground blind. And as I'm looking at the radar, though, and the rain had stopped, I had probably sat there for about 30 minutes. And it looked to me as if the rain was going to be done. And so I just made the decision at that point, you know what? I just, I'm not going to sit here. I'm not excited about sitting here in this blind with the crossbow. Uh, I would, I want to go down to that other stand. And if it's sprinkling a little bit, no big deal, because this particular stand is tucked in a pine tree. If you follow my social media at all, I detailed all this. You can see the photos on there, especially my Instagram account, uh, NDA Nick P. And this is a sweet little spot where you can tuck into this pine tree it's, it's really hard for a deer to see you in there. And also if it was going to be spitting a little bit of rain, I was going to be dry because I'd be protected. So that's what I did. I packed everything up, went back to my truck, slipped on my safety harness, grabbed my regular bow and went and climbed up in the tree. And the other nice thing about it was because the ground had been wet, I was able to sneak in. And for me, approach is such a huge thing when you're going, especially you're making a switch like that kind of later in the afternoon. I had a feeling the deer weren't going to be too far from that stand. So to be able to, to get in there and slip in quietly, I think was a, was a big deal and a big help. So I did, I got slipped in and I wasn't in that stand for more than 
10 minutes and I could hear for the first time all season, I heard some grunting going on and a couple crashes behind me. And I thought, well, okay, the yearling bucks are probably chasing now. That's good. At least that'll create some excitement. So I uh, put that in the back of my mind. I decided not to grunt uh, at that deer and just figured if he's, if there's a decent buck up roaming, he's eventually going to check that food plot. So I waited and it wasn't, I don't even think a half hour went by and all of a sudden I can hear that, that telltale sound that we all love to hear as deer hunters that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up and coming back from behind me, I could just hear that steady walk that there's only one deer in the woods that does that. And that's a buck that's cruising. And I knew there was a buck coming. I just didn't know what he'd looked like. So I'm looking over my left side and here comes not just a buck. Cause I didn't even grab my bow initially. It's sitting there on the hanger, but a pretty darn good buck. I recognized that he had nice tines. He had good width. And really what I recognized is what a freaking horse he was. And I immediately, it was, it always passed that test. The doctor and I, we talk about the test. If you have to really think about it and like, eh, I don't know, you probably don't want that deer. But this one, I immediately grabbed my bow. It was my first instinct. And so I grabbed my bow and he's, he's walking at a steady pace and he's about as luck would have it. He's going to walk right into one of my shooting lanes right off my left side, which is perfect for a right-handed shot. And what he's going to do is he's going to go out and check this food plot in front of me for does. And it had been loaded with does up to that point. So as he's approaching, and many of you will be able to relate to this, I draw my bow and lo and behold, he stops right behind the thickest cover that's left. And so there I am drawn, fully drawn. And I'm not kidding when I tell you that I held that bow back for longer than a minute, maybe two minutes. And I know that time goes it seems longer than it is in those moments, but I'm telling you, I held it as long as I could. And he is just standing there scanning that food plot before he entered it. Like, you know, older bucks do. Now, he wasn't a super old buck. I, he was probably a three-year-old, but old enough to know that he needs to really scan those openings before he goes into them. And so finally I couldn't hold anymore and I let down. And just as I did that, the deer whipped his head around and I thought that he saw me, but all he was doing, he actually started to bite at his tail. I don't know if he had a tick going on there or something, and then the next thing he did was he flicked his tail, which to me, that's the sign that says the coast is clear. I'm moving forward. So the minute he started to walk again, I drew back and he walked right into my shooting lane, 15 yards away. I released the arrow. And it's one of those ones where when you see the arrow bury in that deer's rib cage, and I like to use Illuminoc because it really, uh, not Illuminoc, I'm sorry, I'm using Nocturnals. Um, regardless, I like to use a lighted knock. And it, I saw that knock fly through that deer. And it was just the, the minute I released the arrow, I knew that I had him. The deer bolted off around the outside edge of the plot. He stopped for a minute, took one more sort of lunge forward and I didn't see him anymore, but I did hear him. And I assumed that he was laying right where I had last seen him. And so I was excited. I was, I was it just kind of all came to me that that spot I was hunting was a junk pile months before, a literal junk pile. It's an old gas well opening. When I first was looking at the place and deciding to buy it, that opening to me just screamed interior food plot because it laid out nicely, but it was covered in just all kinds of different weeds and uh, garbage and an old gas well tank. And we had spent several weeks cleaning that up, hauling garbage out. And then of course I did all the work getting it planted 
so there was just a, a moment of real pride there and excitement. I knew I didn't shoot the next state record. <laughs> I knew he was a good buck. I've certainly shot uh, many other nicer ones, but he, I was just very excited. It just really all came together there. And the really the, the sort of a cherry on top is I texted the doctor over there and I said, Hey, I just shot a buck. And he said, Hey, I happen to be not far away. I'm on my way back from New York. I'm going to stop and help you. So that worked out pretty well, didn't it, Doc? Yeah, when uh, I got that text message, I was 20 minutes away and I just committed. I, I told myself, I'm coming there and I'm going to help you drag that deer out of there. So uh, um, kept you on stand a little bit longer, helped you stay calm and give that deer time to expire, even though you believe the shot was good. It's, uh, we, as we always say, that deer is never going to become any more dead by waiting. So uh, 22 minutes later, I think I pulled into your place and let the dog water herself and we went in and it was not a long recovery, but I'll let you tell that story. Well, when I got down to the base of the stand, I could see my arrow because the, it just went right through the deer and is sticking in the ground and the, the knock sitting there glowing. And I pulled my binoculars up and I could see it was scarlet red from tip to tip. And so I climbed down, I took a look, I shut my knock off and then slowly, it was, it was all I could do not to peek up there to see if I could see that deer, but I, I wouldn't let myself do it because I wanted you to be part of it. And so, yeah, I slowly made the walk up to uh, the shed there. You pulled in. And as you said, we went down, just started to try to pick up the trail and looked up and he was there. He had, he had maybe gone, I don't even know if it was 50 yards, maybe 50 yards. I was, when we were guessing, I was guessing about 40, 45 yards. Yeah. And so the, the shot was good. The arrow and the broadhead did its job and it was a really short track job. And so I know some people really enjoy tracking. I really enjoy recovering. What I don't really enjoy is tracking. And frankly, I'll be honest with, with everybody here. I am not good at tracking my own deer because it's emotional. And I always would, would recommend anybody have someone track with them. And so like having the doctor along or even somebody else to take up the track with me is always helpful. In this case, we didn't need it, uh, but it's always harder, I think, to track your own deer. So I want to just talk tactics real quick before I turn it over to the doctor. Oh, by the way, yeah, this I didn't even describe the buck. Really, really heavy body deer. He is really dark colored hide. As a matter of fact, he had a black stripe going all the way down the middle of his back, which was really cool. And I did post pictures of that on the Instagram page. Check it out. But super thick and heavy deer. I mean, just that giant rutted up neck where his neck and shoulders just kind of came together as one piece. And he was an eight pointer. Um, I never did measure what his width was, but uh, maybe just outside the ears. He's just a good Pennsylvania, really good Pennsylvania buck. And, um, so I was, I was just thrilled, thrilled to get them uh, for sure. And so I want to take a step back though and talk tactics. What I think made me successful on that hunt. I think one, obviously being near, near or providing a food source. So the management work, I can tell you if that place was still the mess that it was the year before that deer never would have been going through there. Uh, he was going through there because it was attracting a lot of does and he's up cruising for does on that magic Halloween weekend. And so he was going to swing by. The other tactic I used was patience. When I first heard a deer grunting behind me, I didn't immediately grunt to him. I figured that part of his journey would be to come check that plot. And I was right. Uh, the other tactic I used, good stand placement, uh, cut shooting lanes. I had to make sure that if, if the, it doesn't do you any good to have a stand in the best spot in the world, if you don't have strategically cut shooting lanes where you still have cover but you also can can get a shot and so the deer really walked right through 
a shooting lane where I had envisioned one might walk. Uh, understanding the wind, hunting the right wind was important. I didn't just go crashing into a, what I thought would be a good stand because of the, uh, despite the wind, it was a good wind and also not over hunting the stand. That was the third time I was in that stand, but the two previous times had been a couple weeks before in the very early season. And so I felt confident that I didn't overhunt the stand. And also just most recent information, that buck had been all over my trail camera pictures on that plot. And I knew he was around. Now I will say he was more impressive in person than he was on camera. And I think part of that might've been the size of his body. And so you can't always just judge a deer by what you see on camera. I think there's that adrenaline factor that you have to figure in. And when I saw him, there was no doubt that that was a deer that I wanted to shoot. So that was it. I hung the tag on him. I still have to uh, properly take care of the antlers and get those on a board. But it was a uh, really, no matter what happened to my season after that, that that was putting a bow on what I thought was a great fall for me. So whew, enough about that. Doc, it's your turn. I'm going to take a break and listen. Sounds good. Um, well, on November the 3rd, I opted to go to New York and do a three slash four day hunt up there because his, uh, I shouldn't say historical data, historical data tells me I should always be up there November seven, eight, nine. But last year I got a, a video on a trail camera of a tremendous eight point buck. I'm not going to tell you how big, cause I'm horrible at estimating that, but we're going to say, you know, 150 plus, uh, for sure for this oh, eight point, this is a world. No folks, Mike is not doing it. This is a, what I would call a world-class eight point. It wouldn't matter if this was Kansas. It wouldn't matter if it was Iowa. The fact that it was New York did not, this, this wasn't like, oh, this was a really good buck for New York kind of deal. Like we like to say, this was a, giant buck for anywhere and just a great eight pointer so i'm gonna i just had to add that sorry doc yeah I, I, no quite all right because like i said I'm, I'm horrible at scoring deer on the fly so um but obviously it to me thinking about him for the entire year it was worth me throwing three days of my life and my hunting season at a chance to even see such a magnificent animal and that was my plan so I went up to New York uh, for specifically to determine if that deer would run the same rut course that he did the previous year, because some of you may have heard that older bucks, especially at that five plus uh, age category, tend to do that. They will repeat what they did the year before, and you can count on that. So I took that bit of advice and I tried it. Now I understand that 364 and a quarter days later, and even maybe the night before, um, a car might've, you know, he could have gotten hit by a car. Coyotes might've jumped him from his bed, but I, I will have to say, I very meticulously watched the New York record books and this buck was not entered because if he would have been entered, you would have known about it and, um, went up, sat in the same location that he was. I, you know, I knew what day he was going to show up on. I knew roughly what time he was going to show up on. And I knew the temperature and a lot of things with the moon, the temperature, the wind were lining up for him to actually uh, present himself. The night I was driving up my target three and a half year old buck walked right through that little ridge funnel that I was planning on hunting in and doing all day sits in. And so um, talked to uh, Ryan Glitzky, they call him Moose. I think it's like Moose uh, at Moose 7, 
1720 on Instagram on the way up. And just to give myself that mental edge, because I know that he does a lot of rut sits that are dawn to dusk and I haven't done one in a while. And so I just needed a little bit like a little punch in the arm, a little kick in the butt uh, to be able to get mentally ready to do that and do it for multiple days. And so off I went and that's what I did. And I will have to say it was very underwhelming. I did not see more than a doe and two fawns in the morning on that first day, wrote it out the rest of the day. Um, Thursday, I sat again and dawn to dusk, didn't see a deer at all. And by then I was a little bit down. I called, I called Nick and I talked to him and, uh, you know, I said, I'm playing hurt now, you know, at 50 plus years old and just sit in the stand day, dawn to dark, you kind of get a little bit tore up. And I decided that the next morning I was going to just go and hunt a different location. The wind had shifted and it wasn't right for that uh, spot. So I went in to a new location that's uh, catching the downwind side of one of my sanctuaries on my place. And you might've heard me talk about our previous podcast. I go to get in to the tree that I want and I check the wind with some milkweed and it just isn't right. It's not going to be conducive at all for the hunt. And so I start searching for another tree in the dark on the fly. And I found a tree that the milkweed was actually drifting just the way that it's supposed to, where uh, there's a little rise about eight feet that will take that wind and actually pull it parallel to the trail that the deer are coming from, from the direction that I expect. And so I start up the tree and by the time I get about 12 feet off the ground, I grab a limb and it, uh, putting in sticks, but I'm grabbing a limb and it snaps off. I go up another stick and I grab another limb to see what it's doing. It snaps off. And I started to get this bad feeling that I think this tree's dead. And so I, I shinny down the tree and I get my uh, bow hanger and I put it in the, the tree and I start to screw it in. I pull to, to check the cambium layer, layer and uh, shine my light in there and everything was brown. And so I ran it deeper. I pulled again, everything's still brown. I'm like, oh, this tree's dead. I pull everything down, move another 10 yards, find a live tree, up I go. And it was a wonderful morning. The wind was perfect the way that I had it finally set up. The sun starts to rise. I hear uh, turkeys that are just 70 yards away from me waking up and there was hens and they were fighting and there was just a lot of activity. And uh, I'm sending Nick a text message because I don't believe he was hunting that morning. And as soon as I put my phone away and I look to the direction that I expect the deer to come from, there's, there's a yearling standing there. And then I see a bigger deer walking up behind it and they walk past me from my right to my left or from my South toward to my North. Uh, and the East is actually behind them. So um, they're actually like backlit as the sunrise. It was a really wonderful, magnificent moment. And the doe uh, comes up and I hadn't harvested a doe on my place for a couple of years. I'm trying to keep the numbers in check. And it didn't take me long to realize that I was going to harvest her. So she comes up, steps into my opening, and this all transpires in a matter of uh, totally 20 seconds. I bleat to her very softly. She stops. I settle in my pin and I cut it loose and she runs off 40 yards and I see her tumble from the stand. And the next thing I knew, I'm dialing Nick's number to let him know, hey, guess what? after that text message I just sent you, cause he was, his was like a little pep talk about playing hurt. And he's like, yeah, it's tough to answer the bell after you've been down for two days. And, and I'm like, just answer the bell, kill the doe and completely tickled with her. She was a, a nice mature doe. She weighed in field dressed at 118 pounds. Uh, I still have, I pulled the jawbone. I still have to take a look at it, but uh, she is in the freezer now. And I am tickled to be able to have filled that New York doe tag. The mental game is so important and so often 
overlooked, I think. Um, I felt it myself in Delaware, which I'm going to talk about here in a little bit. You start getting that third, about that third straight day of slugging it out. Even if you're seeing deer, it's hard. And so to be able to keep yourself ready to go, ready to make, ready to execute a shot after not, and in your case, it's not like you were seeing eight to 10 deer every sit. And so I just want to applaud you for, I mean, yeah, maybe it did part of it was a phone call to me and, but that's, that's a smart move. That's what I would do. And I just applaud you for sticking it out. And that made that taking that deer even that much more satisfying. It did. It, it really did. I, I really enjoy sitting on my place and it was such a, a really interesting morning with a lot of at least wildlife activity. And I had a great show for a beautiful sunrise that was just the icing on the cake. And the fact I always like harvesting a deer in the morning because it gives me so much time to be able to just appreciate that. Uh, I'll take a deer in the evening, don't get me wrong, but I like to not rush past that moment because anytime I harvest a deer, I do understand the gravity of that event and I wanna make sure it's not just glossed over. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're they're all special right and they all take on these stories all take on a life of their own and those those of you that have your own stories that you're thinking about you're thinking back to your own seasons or maybe looking ahead to your next season you know it's like i could always do this with sports too i can think back to very specific things and plays and things that have happened and my wife picks on me about it at times and yours probably does too we can always remember like down to the detail of how these things went down and this was a special hunt i mean I, this was this was a tough one. It was. And so the tactics that I employed for this one came down to first and foremost is understanding the wind, checking the wind as you either go into your stand because you don't want to blow your scent into an area that you're expecting there to be in or um, checking it once you get to your stand for sure to make sure that it is conducive to that location and you are going to have as many opportunities to have those deer come in as relaxed as they possibly can to harvest them. The wind that day was an east northeast. It was a really odd wind and it was switching to uh, an east southeast. So I only had a couple hours to sit that stand and I knew that. <clears throat> so I went in there for that reason, realizing that as soon as that wind was going to switch, I needed to be out. And luckily that whole hunt transpired in about 30 seconds very early in the morning. Uh, I, I can't even remember what the time was. I, it was before 830. I'm pretty sure it was. Well, your excitement didn't end there. It did not. So uh, pack up back to Pennsylvania and uh, I have to work every Monday and Tuesday in the fall I teach. So uh, came back to PA, got my two days of work in, but I knew now that I was going to be hunting in, in Pennsylvania versus New York. And so I was very adamant again about watching the wind. And I have a, a rut funnel that I have been, I'll, I'll use the term grooming, but what I mean by grooming is that putting sits in that location. And I don't know how everybody else looks at this, but the way that I look at my hunts, especially when I'm trying to determine when versus when during the season. And then also it breaks down to more granular when during the day, is it a morning spot, midday spot, evening spot. And so I had uh, a very cool rut funnel that faces east. 
and I was getting a north and northwest wind that morning. And this rut is a really cool round top that has a secondary ridge or bench that comes across it that pulls a nice hard 90 degree turn into a saddle. And a lot of sunlight gets in there. So the area is very thick. Um, there is doe bedding that is down into that at the head of that valley. And there's also doe bedding at the head of the other side of that saddle facing south. And in years past, I've hunted it and I've always seen mature bucks in there that I would consider at the appropriate age class that I want, which is three and a half or better, and if, of the rack size that I want. Now, you did hear me say earlier that I hadn't shot a buck in five years. Uh, every single time that I've been in that funnel, something has gone wrong because this is public ground. I don't own it. We can't manipulate it. I can't go in there and clear and cut shooting lanes. And so those four years have been me trying to find that perfect tree that's going to be conducive for that wind, conducive for the way the sun would shine in there. So I don't, you know, highlight myself and so that I could still get a shot. I'm a left-handed shooter. So I have to favor my strong side shot the best that I can. And so that Wednesday was conducive for that location. I headed, I headed in, got there early, but got handcuffed down. There was already deer in that funnel. I could hear them walking around. And so I stayed on the ground for 25 minutes, slowly unpacking my bag and setting my sticks out and slowly deciding that I need to get up this tree, putting things together and starting to climb out of my normal routine because I have my routine as I climb. And this time I knew I needed to be quieter and much slower, but long story short, uh, Nick was in Delaware and I text him. He's like, Oh, B team already. And I think he dropped something out of a stand that day. I can't remember what it was, but I'm like, Oh, B team here too. Um, you know, I just got into my stand and it had been light for almost 35 minutes. So once I finally got settled, I didn't like how I was set up because I couldn't set up the way that I wanted to my, my little platform that I use for my saddle, uh, did creak a little bit. I didn't have it snug down as tight as I would like. So I knew that if deer came in, I had to position my feet way early, trying to read their body language and their direction and assume that I was going to be have, have to be stuck in that position or else they'd hear that, that little creak and I, that I didn't want. And the morning was pretty uneventful. I didn't hear or see any more deer after the other ones walked off, but there was a lot of squirrel activity. And just about 7.45, I hear walking through the leaves and immediately I was able to differentiate that that's not a squirrel. Now my hearing is not the best and, you know, Nick can attest to that. And so can my wife, uh, whether mine's selective or not, which is, you know, how the way she looks at it, but because I can still hear, I, I, the, my problem is I can't locate position, but because I had that four years of experience or prior experience in that funnel, it was, I was almost like a quarterback going through my reads. I looked to the locations that historically these bucks have entered this funnel from. And my first read was correct. I looked and I saw him coming out of the South. I saw the size of his body. He was a dark deer. And then as soon as he came around the other side of the tree, I saw his rack and as Nick said, that was the test. As soon as I saw him, I grabbed my bow. And that tells me that that's a buck that I'm going to shoot. He comes in just like he's supposed to, he's gonna favor my strong side. He comes in, he does shift a little bit and starts to move toward my weak side, but he was on my weak side at 15 yards. And I was able to lean way around the tree, keeping my feet planted on that platform where I knew they weren't going to make any noise. 
And as soon as he came out, he gave me a slightly, slightly quartering two shot. So I, on the left-hand side, he was actually favoring to walk down into that saddle. And I hugged that, that front shoulder joint the best that I possibly could. And I, this year I'm still shooting my bow after the 12th year. And so I have confidence in that. And at 15 yards, I actually laced it right past that joint. I didn't touch it. And I saw the arrow bury up to 90% right up to the fletchings quartering through him. And he turns and runs off. I'm very calculated as an individual. I don't start hooping and hollering. I keep my bow in my hand. I stay very still. And I just lock watch because I can't, my ears aren't what they used to be. And at about 90 yards, I look at the direction he was, but I can't see him, but I'm still staring. I'm still waiting. I'm still trusting in the process. And then all of a sudden I see him make a off balance dash quartering away from me at 45 degrees down over the other side of that saddle. And that was the last mark at 90 yards. So I knew where I needed to start because the arrow was still in him and I didn't expect to have a great blood trail. I text Nick, let him know the situation. We kind of do our back and forth. It's, it's, it's kind of like a check that we do to determine the quality of the shot and what we is going to be the best decision. So we don't make a mistake in all of the excitement. And we determined that after 30 minutes, I was going to get down, look for first blood. And if I didn't like what I saw, wait another 30 minutes and then go after him. Um, so what I just, I got down at 30 minutes. I said, I'm going to look at first blood where I know I saw him standing. Uh, I took a compass reading off the tree. It was 256 degrees West. I, and what I mean by that is I took my phone out, put pin my phone up against the tree on stand, took the compass bearing, got down to the ground, touched my phone against the tree again, 256, took my bearing and started walking. Once I got over there, I didn't see any blood. So I came back, packed up all of my stuff that took about another 15 minutes or so. I thought, okay, I'm going to go look for him, walk back over. And I started following terrain features because, and still looking for blood in those terrain features, didn't see anything. I get to the point overlooking to the easterly side of that saddle and I don't see anything. And I spin to turn and walk away. And as I spin to turn to walk, away, I look down the bottom and there was a solid chestnut colored object there that just didn't look like it belonged. Backed up, grabbed my binoculars, threw them up. And I saw that white main beam kind of flashing there on that chestnut colored body. And there he was, sent Nick the text message down over the hill I went and I recovered this. I'm going to call him. He was this year, he was an eight point, but he broke off his brow tine. So legally and ethically, he's a seven, uh, very heavy deer. He has, he has main beams that are just tremendous, carries his mass very well out to the tips. And his G2s are, I measure them, they're nine and a half inches. So um, very proud of this deer. First one, like I said, in five years, uh, spread wise, he's sitting somewhere between like 16, 17 inches inside. So there were a lot of, there were a lot of take-homes, learning points there, I think, for people. A lot of them were the same for each of ours. We know the wind. We don't ever hunt stands. We are strategic about how we get into them. Shooting lanes, your, your case, you were shot your buck out of a saddle. I was in a regular fixed position stand for mine. Um, and th the thing you added, though, with your buck that I think that was really good is after the shot stuff. Um, you were concerned that you weren't going to have a great blood trail because, because of the way the shot entered and the arrow stayed in them. But you had the wherewithal to, first of all, watch where that deer goes and then take a compass reading. And so those are very simple things that I know it's an emotional time 
people make that shot, they see the deer running off, lots going through their mind, they're not necessarily paying attention to detail. But you really need to pay attention to that detail because, you know, let's face it, if you didn't do that, there is a outside possibility that you may not have found the deer, but as it is, you found it pretty quickly. I did. It didn't take me very long. I just followed the terrain and I knew that he was hit and I knew that he was hit hard and I knew that he was hit lethally, but it's the first, technically he was the fifth deer that I've shot with that same broadhead and arrow that I just keep resharpening. And um, I knew for a fact that I had just, and that's one thing that I do is when I start my rut hunts, I always resharpen my, my broadheads to make sure that they are as efficient and as lethal as they possibly could be. But it's the first year that I didn't have a pass through on, and I can't remember how long because of the angle. And I will have to say, if, if I can weigh in here, moving forward, I'm not a fan of that quartering two shot. Yes, it's lethal. He went total. How far did he go? He went 175 yards and 60 of that was downhill, probably rumbling, stumbling, tumbling. And he ended up on a, um, a logging road uh, on the opposite side of that ridge that I was hunting. Not road. I mean, it was like an old um, where they pulled a skitter trail. I guess it's better to say it's, it's a skitter trail now that's just all grown up, but it was a flat. And if he would have went another two yards, he would have been down even further into these deeper, darker pines that I would not have been able to see from the top of the hill, but I might've found him in the search. But technically I was looking for him for a total of maybe nine minutes and I found him. So um, there's a certain amount of luck there, but like, as you said, keeping a cool and calm collected head did help for sure. Absolutely. That's a huge, that's a huge, huge part of it. Trying to remain composed all the way through the recovery. And so with that, Mike, I want to transition into what went well, what didn't go well. And so let's start with the what went well for the season. And I think we've already touched on this. For me, it was overall uh, the season overall, at least here at home in Pennsylvania. Uh, I think it was a win. Like I said, after I had shot my buck, even if I didn't shoot that buck, I would have felt like that because of the two does that I had taken earlier. And so I think that the regular archery season was overall very good. Uh, and the other thing I'll say is I don't feel like I burned myself out. I felt strong just about every time I hunted. And so I was proud of myself for that, for not over hunting. So that's my, what went well. How about you? Mine is the same. Uh, obviously we had success, but this fall, I didn't have the number of days that I thought I was planning or I was planning on having. And I went and counted and I've only been in the stand two full days. And then technically, if you total up everything else about four hours. So I don't have a lot of days in the stand, but I was very efficient, which I was pleased with. Um, also what went well, I think is the fact that we paced ourselves this year in regards to, we didn't get too excited. We didn't let social media uh, pull us into the throes of, Hey, we have to compete with other people. We were competing with ourselves. And I think, you know, that's really what you should be looking at. And so I think that's what, what went well with me is that I knew I was only going to have so many days, but I was very confident this year because of historic work and time in the stand has, you know, from the years prior 
that I knew where I wanted to be and when I wanted to be there. And I had confidence each time that I went. That's a big part of it, being fresh, having that confidence. What didn't go well? Oh, we're always easy to be hard on ourselves. I'm going to say for me, we didn't get into my Delaware hunt here, but I did put a week in Delaware and had several close calls. Um, I had passed on a couple of bucks that were pretty good bucks, but I knew that there were some exceptional ones out there. So that's okay. I think it's, you're never wrong if you don't, if you decide not to shoot. But I think the, the frustration for me in Delaware was that I didn't, every, every hunt I went into, I didn't have a great plan. A couple of times I let does walk right past me and I'm like, why didn't I shoot that doe? And so I think just making a plan before every hunt, know what you're willing to do and not willing to do and stick to that plan, I think would have helped me there. So my planning, I think, needs to improve. Uh, my mobile setup, it sufficed, but it's not what I need going forward. I'm not getting any younger. I learned that I need lighter sticks. I learned that I need a more comfortable saddle, probably get away with the same platform, which is fine. Um, so that's something that I definitely uh, learned sort of the hard way that I need to improve. Uh, and also, I still haven't filled. I, I gave away... So of the four deer that I've shot this year, I gave away three of them and I always like to keep two. And now that I need one, uh, here I am struggling. And so I will, I'll say, uh, well, that's just what, that's, that's what didn't, hasn't gone right yet. I want to, I'll touch on that a little bit more here later with another story, but anyway, that's what, that's what I felt didn't go well for me. How about you? The only thing that didn't go well was the fact that the bow that I had planned on starting off the season with, which was um, a new bow that I ordered back in February, didn't get here until August. And I did not have the time to commit to getting it tuned to the level or the standard that I have. I'm And I eventually just had to give up on it and pull my old Bowtech Admiral off the, off the retirement, you know, list and, put it back to work. And as usual, that thing performs flawlessly. But I guess that dealing with that little bit of disappointment in putting it in perspective where it's not really about the equipment, it's not really about the, the bells and whistles, it's about going out and having fun and having confidence and, and being okay with that. And so, yes, I will tell you, everybody, I shoot and hunted with a 2009 Bowtech Admiral this year and was tickled to death because when I grab onto that thing, it feels like it's just an extension of me. And I'm proud of that next year. I'll have my new bow up and running and I'll put 10 years in plus with that bow as well. But I guess for me, letting go of the, the hype of, Hey, I need, I got a new bow. I have to use it. I don't think I would have been able to pull off the shots I did without that bow being, or shooting the way that it was. So that's what my didn't go well moment is. Okay. Biggest learning point. And mine is really goes with what didn't go well. My biggest learning point is I need to work on my mobile setup a little bit better. Um, and also I think just generally, well, I'll, I'll save that for the, what I'm optimistic about, but that was my biggest learning point. Have a game plan and have a setup that's more comfortable, especially when I'm hunting in Delaware, where I'm doing a lot of hiking and walking and, uh, to get to my spots. How about you? Mine is going to be a little bit more philosophical and that's going to be, be true to yourself. Let me expand upon that. This year I went back to being 
the rut hunter that I was and that I was successful with for years. I did say that, yes, I haven't killed a buck in five years. And I've been trying to do that hunting buck beds and, and understanding that process and getting close on to them so that any day that I go could be the day that I'm going to, you know, kill that buck. And to be honest with you, as I'm sitting here right now, not to brag, but I have two doctoral degrees, one in medicine, one in education. And I will tell you, I am not smart enough to figure out how to hunt buck beds. It just does not click and make sense to me. And therefore I struggle and struggle and struggle. And again, talking to, to Moose kind of helped me out there. I just went back to what I knew when Pennsylvania expanded the deer season into the first two weeks in November years ago. I was in my early twenties. I spent a ton of time. I figured it out. I learned how to make it work for me. And this year I just finally shook myself back into the thought process of do what you're good at. And I don't care if, you know, guys are killing deer in the first week of the season and um, the, during the October lull, all that other stuff. I know moving forward with confidence that you give me from October 28th through November 11th, I'm going to be in a rut funnel somewhere and I'm going to be tickled as heck and I'm going to be expecting success to happen. I like it. I like it. It's not always tactical in terms of on the ground. It's the, the mental preparation ahead of time. <sighs> Biggest disappointment. And it's hard to be disappointed, but I think just the disappointment for me, and this is somewhat philosophical as well, is just not game, not game planning as well. Especially the, again, that Delaware trip is bothering me because I felt like that every hunt I was, I didn't have a particular plan for each hunt. And so I want to plan better, I think next year. Um, so that's probably my disappointment is with all my experience and whatnot, there were still times I feel like I didn't have a real game plan and, and stick to it. For me, the biggest disappointment was the fact that you and I harvested so many deer this year without each other around. One of the biggest things I enjoy is actually having somebody there and being involved. And that's why I'm not going to say that I went out of my way to make sure that when you shot your buck, I was there for you, but I get charged and I get juiced on that. I think just as much as shooting one. So the, the camaraderie part of it to me, where we, we kind of missed a lot of those opportunities because of the how I hunt New York, you were in Delaware, you were in Kentucky, you know, we, we, we didn't match up as much as we had in years past. And we have a private, you know, side joke about that. But I guess that's what I'm disappointed about. We kind of, I miss that camaraderie of having somebody on the blood trail with you, someone giving you a slap on the back, you know, um, those types of things for me were where I was glad to come out and be able to help you recover your dough and come out and recover your buck. So, um, hopefully we can do more of that and plan a little bit better so that we're hunting more often together versus apart, uh, as needed. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Every season takes on a life of its own. And last year we both shot deer on the same opening morning. We both got does and, uh, on the same day, which was cool. And so this year, obviously it didn't uh, play out quite like that. So that's a good one. So let's go ahead and jump into, oh, wait, I'm almost forgetting one here. Biggest sense for optimism going into the next season, or maybe if it's even just the rest of this season for what time we're going to be out. For me, it's trying new things. And so 
for me, I've already started looking into taking my longbow off the shelf and doing some shooting. I think the conversation with CJ uh, a couple of weeks ago has helped with that. And I know that you like to get your, uh, your recurve out and shoot. So I'm interested in getting back into that. And so my, my Christmas list has some things that I need to be able to get prepared to do that on it. And then also just hunting from the ground. I have never, I may have said this on another podcast. I have never shot a deer with my bow from, from while being on the ground. And so I have to tell a quick story though, because when I, since I've come back from Delaware, we're in our last week of the archery season here in Pennsylvania. I uh, have said, you know what? I want to fill this tag, but I want to fill it while hunting on the ground. And so I've gone out and played cat and mouse with uh, an adult doe that is feeding in this field that uh, in the, on this farm that Mike and I hunt. And so the first time that she came out, uh, she came in and just, she just didn't give me a shot. Basically she came close to being in range, but it was too dark and it didn't work out yesterday. However, <laughs> I had to text the doctor there and say, well, I just fired one over a deer's back. And so while I was excited because I was, I actually picked a good spot and the deer came into range. The problem was everything is so different when you're used to hunting in a tree and then you're not any longer. And that deer was quite a bit closer than what I realized. I thought she was about 30 yards, which means I need to aim just a touch high. And here she was at 25 yards. And I also, uh, there I am aiming a touch high. And of course you have to account for that deer going to drop at the sound of the arrow. And it was the old typical, like you sometimes see on the outdoor television, I'm watching my lighted knock sail about an inch over that deer's back. <laughs> So uh, while, I, but I'm optimistic that I'm going to learn how to do this more. And I really enjoyed it. I, I like getting on the ground and playing that game with the mic. So that's what I'm optimistic about. I think I've already touched on mine. Uh, I, I, I will have to say, I think I'm back. I'm, I, I'm a rut hunter. I'm proud of that. It might not be sexy. It might not be cool, but you know what? That's, that's what I am. And that's what I'm good at. And I'm going to stick to that. All right. Nothing wrong with that at all. All right, so what's up for the rest of this season? Uh, for me, I've already mentioned I'm still trying to put one more deer in the freezer. And I also, uh, I would like to get back to Delaware and chase a buck. I still have my tag. The season doesn't end there till the end of January. We'll see how my schedule fills up. Uh, we've got the Pennsylvania firearm season coming up. I'm going to Missouri to do a field to fork event for NDA. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Our chairman, Rick Dahl has opened up his property to introduce some new hunters there. So I'm looking forward to mentoring. That's going to happen in December. Uh, really excited about that. And of course, uh, the winter season here, which, which starts right after Christmas, I'm sure I'll still have a tag in my pocket and available to go out. And even if it's not for deer, I'm going to go do a little squirrel hunting with my air gun now that it's sighted in, and I'm going to use it to learn some more public land around my property. So that's what's coming up for me. What do you think, Mike? Well, in my immediate future, this coming weekend, which will be the Saturday before this airs, is New York's gun opener, and I get to hunt with my daughter, which is the highlight of my career, and the, I should, not my career, but my year, and um, we're excited about that. You know, it's just it's a cool time at camp. We get to uh, just spend some time together talking and catching up, and that's exciting for me. And secondarily, it is the time frame that I'm going to put a lot of miles on, a lot of boot leather worn out with uh, Remy. We got to get her onto some birds, 
So pheasant hunting, grouse hunting, woodcock hunting over the next couple of weeks is going to be a priority for me. Well, definitely always something on the plate and plenty on the plate, which is good, especially when you're talking about your outdoors pursuits. So whew, I think we've covered it. It's been a really fun and wild six weeks or so since we started hunting. And uh, yeah, it's not over yet, but I think that's the gist of it for our archery seasons. And Hey, you still, we, we each still have buck tags. We might have more to report on that. I might figure out how to get a deer from the ground and uh, learning that technique a little bit. So lots to come. I think we'll end it there for today. Folks, I want to remind you, please uh, sign up. If you're, if you're not subscribing to this podcast, please do it. That way you're notified immediately whenever it comes out. And also leave us a review. We've been getting quite a few reviews, which is great. I appreciate that. Tell your friends about it and uh, let them know about the Coffee and Deer Show. I think they'll enjoy it. I think we have a lot of variety here. Uh, also, join the National Deer Association. And here we are. We're running toward the holiday season and we have gift giving to do. So if you have an outdoors person in your, in your circle of giving, a membership to the National Deer Association is a great holiday gift. It's 35 bucks. And it's a gift that they're going to get throughout the year through just our communications and getting quality whitetails magazine. And also know that you'll be supporting conservation to consider that as well. If you're still hunting out there, folks, good luck. We got a lot of states have firearm seasons just starting or coming up. So good luck out there. I hope uh, that you make some real memories this season and maybe even uh, get that deer of a lifetime or memory of a lifetime. National Deer Association, folks, where we are, united for deer. <laughs>